just been uh, reminding me to enjoy the pulpit to the glory of God, and that's um, that's what I'm uh, hope to do. So, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, where we'll be reading from. We'll be, we'll be reading most, but not all, of the, um, of the chapter. Okay. From verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And then skip down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its, uh, and its li- lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written uh, in the Lamb's book of life. There ends our reading. I hope something in you goes, yes, when you hear that. I don't want to get bogged down into the details. Uh, Revelation is a tricky book. 
Um, and it's not my purpose here this morning to, uh, I don't even profess to understand Revelation, but it's not my purpose to, to explain Revelation. But, I, but I, what I would like to do is to, to encourage you with the hope that we have. And that's what, what Revelation is about. When we read about the heavenly Jerusalem, this promised hope, the city that will come along with the Lamb, along with Jesus, and He will come and establish His kingdom here on earth. We're, we're reminded of, of and f- almost frustrated by the fact that it has not yet come. When we look around, this isn't what we see. We don't see the Lord being honored. We don't see this peace and perfection, the beauty of the new Jerusalem, of this new creation. We don't see that. And we definitely, later on in, in, in Revelation 22, it will speak of the, the river of life and the tree of life that grows on its banks and, and it's, it, it's, it grows for the healing of the nations. But we look at the nations and they're in turmoil. Just starting 2020 has been a roller coaster already. Wake up almost on, on New Year's Day and it feels like Australia's on fire and America's going to war with Iran. Um, and, and all of this tragedy that's around us, load shedding, um, even just you know, trying to make ends meet in our personal lives, whether that's in our relationships or in our finances or um, whatever that might be. We, it strikes me. It's just, it, it weighs me down almost to think that this, this is, not, it, it is not a reality yet. That God reigns completely on this earth. As we are promised that he will when he comes in the, the, this first heaven and this um, first earth will pass away. These things will pass away. There's, it, we just read about how there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. And that definitely is not our reality right now. But this morning I would like to come and encourage you with that hope that we have. It's an already but not yet. We have that glimmer, that glimpse of God's kingdom that reigns. It's not a kingdom of this earth, of this world, but it's, a, it's amongst us. And so, on the one hand, I would like to lament this morning in the fact that His full reign has not yet come. And that there is still brokenness and death and sin, even in, my, in our own lives. And it should frustrate us. And it should sadden us. If it doesn't, then there's a big problem. But then I also want to point you to rejoicing. Yes, we lament. But we rejoice. Because the victory has already been won. And this reality of the new Jerusalem has already been established. The way that Mark was saying, the rock stands. The, if you build your house on the sand, it will pass away. But we build our house on the rock. And that's what I want to remind us of this morning again. So I just want to open with prayer um, and commit the, the sermon to the Lord.
Holy Father, thank you that we can be encouraged and that we can rejoice in the hope that does not disappoint. That we can look forward to that time. We don't know when, but we pray and we, our souls shout and we cry out, Lord, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. It's your word that should speak, not mine. So I pray, Father, that you would come and encourage each heart, but convict us first that we might not be people of this world, that we would not sink our roots too deep into this world, but that we would be citizens of heaven with our eyes set on heavenly things, on the things above, which are eternal. So I pray, Father, open up your word to us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Open up our ears. Give us ears to hear what you speak, what your spirit speaks to our church. I pray it in your great and glorious name, Father. Amen. So there's another city that we read about in Scripture, and it does not look at all like the New Jerusalem. And in Revelation, it's, we read about that in, in, especially in Revelation 17 and 18. We read about Babylon. And it's not a new city. It's not like in this, the last book of the Bible. It's not a new thought that's, that's introduced at all. Babylon has been there ever since the Tower of Babel, where men in their arrogance, mankind, thought that they could build, build a city and build a tower that would reach the heavens. That they, in their pride, thought that they could be equal to God. And now, throughout Scripture, we see that um, it's because of Israel's sin in the Old Testament, because of their disobedience to God, that they're sent into exile. Where? To Babylon. And, um, yeah, we, we read that they go into exile for 70 years in the city of Babylon where they're taken up from their homeland, that homeland that God had given to them, that promised land where it was supposed to be almost a new garden of Eden, where God was supposed to dwell with man. And Israel should have been a nation of priests and prophets proclaiming God's sovereignty, proclaiming God's kingdom to the nations around them. But what happened? They were influenced. They were led astray by the nations around them. And the salt lost its saltiness. They became just like Babylon. They ran after idols. They ran after um, the kings became power hungry and drunk with a lust for power. And they became idols themselves, wanting worship and putting themselves in the place of God. And what does God do? He uses Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, an evil man. But God uses, he draws a straight line with a crooked stick. He uses Babylon to exact judgment upon Israel, upon the earthly Jerusalem. 
And they're taken into exile. And the Lord, the Lord says, yes, there's, it'll be a limited time of exile. And they'll be able to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. But then obey. They should obey His commands. And they do rebuild the city. With Nehemiah, they rebuild the walls. And they rebuild the temple. But then we see there's a gradual slip again. Israel hasn't. Judah has not come back from exile. Instead, they brought Babylon with them. And the earthly Jerusalem, which was supposed to be the place where God dwelt with man, had now been influenced by these idols that they brought back from Babylon. And so the Lord, we read about the, the well, we hear about the, the 400 years of silence. And in that time, they think that there's a man um, and his family, Judas Maccabeus, who might be the Messiah. And he comes and he, he, they think that he's going to drive away all of um, the invaders and, and the kingdom will finally be set up the way it was with, in the reign of David. And they put all their hope on this man and his family, but it, it ends horribly. And he actually, yes, he drives out the, the Greeks from Jerusalem who had come up and put, put idols in the temple. But what does he do? He just signs a treaty. Uh, he makes a contract. This was in the 160s before Christ. He signs a contract with Rome. And then so what we see is when, when Jesus arrives, and we just celebrated Christmas, when, when Jesus is born, it's in a time when the Roman Empire is in control. And Caesar is worshipped as a god. At that time, Augustus Caesar, he's worshipped as a god. And Rome is everywhere. And Rome's agenda, even Israel, Judah, is just there to serve Rome's purposes. They, they occupied Judea so that they could fill Rome's coffers and feed the Roman citizens with, with Judah's wheat and um, barley. But it was all about Rome and Caesar's ego. And that's why when, 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 we, when we read about the, 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 the disciples hoping that Jesus is the Messiah, that he will come and he will drive away the Romans, that's what they think. But instead he's killed by them. And what's worse is the Jews, who are supposed to be holy, a nation set apart for God, they conspire with Rome to kill Jesus. And these Pharisees and these Sadducees, we read about that in John 17, when, when Pilate, a Roman, asks the Jews, shall I crucify your king? And then they say, we have no king but Caesar. And that's an ultimate betrayal. A betrayal against God, who should have been their king. And if they had known him as their king, they would have known Jesus whom he had sent. But they didn't. When Jesus enters the earthly Jerusalem, he comes up over the Mount of Olives riding on a donkey. And he weeps. He weeps for Jerusalem. He said, oh, that I could have gathered you under my wings 
the way a hen gathers her chicks. And broke his heart. He knew what would happen. He said, if only you knew the things that made for peace. But Israel, Jerusalem, the people of God, had been swallowed up by Babylon. And that's what we read about in Revelation. Babylon. And it's equated in this time. I think the, the, uh, some commentators also put it that, that way. That the first audience who would read Revelation would have known exactly what Babylon, what, what the writer, what John was speaking about. Babylon was Rome at that time. This empire who raised itself up against God. Putting itself in the place of God. Peter ends the first letter, his, um, uh, his letter, the uh, letter of First Peter, he ends it with this. He says, he, he calls Babylon, he calls Rome Babylon, he equates her um, Babylon to, to Rome. And that's what we read here in, in Revelation 17 and 18. Babylon is, a, is likened to a prostitute. Prostitute that's all about herself and her, her own enrichment, using and abusing she has no loyalties except to herself. She rides a beast, a monster. And it's, it's almost a personification of, of, of the world. And we read in, in 1 John 2 verse 16 about the, uh, John reminds us to keep ourselves from the world because friendship with the world is enmity with God. We cannot be friends of the world, and friends with God. We cannot serve two masters. Sadly, the people of God had been doing exactly that, and they'd fallen victim willingly. And we read about that in 1 John 2 verse 16, where it says that it, we must keep ourselves from the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust or the pride of life. It's all that it is. It, it comes down to pride power. It's almost this, this arrogant mentality of God is dead and I'm my own God. That's what Babylon, that's what the world says. That's why they wanted to kill Jesus. Because they had placed them, themselves in the place of God. Friedrich Nietzsche, a famous atheist philosopher, spoke about just that he was the one who said, God is dead. But the quote carries on. It says, God is dead and it is we who have killed him. And there's not enough water in the world to wash away the blood. And that's exactly what they, what they did. And Nietzsche, ironically, so much insight, so little understanding, was also the one who said, in the absence of belief, in God, there's only one other prime motivator, and that is the will to power. That's what Babylon is all about. Control. Wanting to be in power. Wanting to be God. And that sounds a lot like two things that we remember. Satan, who wanted, he didn't want to worship God, he wanted to be worshipped as God. Like God. And we also know that that was his first lie given to Adam and Eve. You can be like God. And God is scared of that. It's the lie. God is threatened. 
But God is not threatened by Babylon. God is not threatened by Rome, by this empire, by self. Instead, he sends his son Jesus into Babylon, into the world, even to die in this earthly Jerusalem that has been swallowed up by Babylon. But he doesn't die inside the city. He dies outside of the city. He takes up his cross and they exile him outside of the city. And he dies as a rebel. Crucifixion was a rebel's death. If it was, if it was anything else, the Jews would have stoned him. If it was simply only a, a religious crime that he committed. But for him to say that he's the Messiah was almost a political statement. And that's why Rome was also threatened. And so when he dies outside of the city, he takes on Israel's exile. He takes on their time in Babylon. Because of their sin, they were exiled. And he takes that exile upon himself. He was the only man in which you could say truthfully that God and man dwelt perfectly together. That's the hypostatic union of Jesus being fully man and fully God. The way that it was designed for us to be in union with God. But it was broken by sin. And that's, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took our exile, our sin upon himself. And paid for us. That we might enter again into the kingdom of God. And we read in, in Philippians 2, that famous passage, how completely opposite Jesus' attitude was than Babylon's. And we read, and you can turn there if you'd like, um, from verse 5 of chapter 2 in Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It doesn't end there. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Babylon builds its kingdom firstly on itself, but also through the injustice of pushing others down, trampling on others, slavery and war. That's what Rome did. It was, a, it was a, an empire of conquest and invasion. It brought death and destruction. So Babylon is built on the blood of others. But the heavenly Jerusalem is built on the blood of Jesus. The only perfect one who shed his blood for us. 
And he's the one who lifts up. He doesn't push down. Even though he was equal to God, he emptied himself and became a servant. And it was because of his blood. In, in Hebrews 12, we read, um, we read that we are sprinkled by the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. As righteous Jesus who gave his life. And, and we read about the heavenly Jerusalem being a bride. Not Babylon was a prostitute, but the heavenly Jerusalem is likened to a bride who's beautifully adorned for her husband. Her loyalty is to her husband. When, when, you, when you make that vow in front of God and family and friends, and you put on that ring, you say, there's no one else for me but you. And that's, that's what Jesus did. He gave his life for us, for his bride. And as a response, the bride should have no others. Only Christ, her king, her husband. And so, that's what thinking of the heavenly Jerusalem and us being part of that kingdom people. Because if we put faith in Christ, we can be saved from Babylon. We can be saved from our own sin. We can be saved from the, the, the worries of this world. We don't have to be like that ground where the seed is, 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 um, is sowed and then it grows a little bit, but then the, the anxieties of this world choke it. We don't have to be like that. But when we come to faith in Christ and we surrender our lives and we proclaim that He is the King of our lives, we turn our back on Babylon and we head, we're heading with, him, with our, our bridegroom, our King, leading us towards the heavenly Jerusalem. We turn away from the world and its things. We put to death our own, the little Babylon that we've put in our own hearts. We put it to death. And that's why when, when we are conformed to Jesus' death, we die to Babylon and the world and sin. But we are also raised to newness in life with Him. If we're conformed to His death, we'll also be conformed to His life. And that's why we're raised with Him, with that heavenly hope. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so, the question is, as we read in Philippians 3, Verse 70 to 21, which I'll also just quickly read for you. This is Paul exhorting the Philippians to be different, to not be like the world. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, you and now, you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like this glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
So right now, Paul says, you're surrounded by enemies of the cross. And this was very real in that time, as it is in many places in the world right now. Is that if you're a friend of the cross, you're an enemy of the world. And they want to put, put you to death and marginalize you, push you out, exile you, just as much as they want to exile Christ, and just as much as they did. But Paul encourages the Philippians and says, your citizenship is not of this world. Your citizenship is that of heaven. But it's not just the hope of going there someday when you die. There's a very active hope that we see from it. We await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. That's the mystery that Paul also talks about. Some of us will not sleep, but we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye when He comes and establishes His kingdom here. And right now, we groan, that's Romans 8, along with all creation, because we see that it has not yet been subjected to the Lord, the Lord's kingdom, His sovereignty, His rule. But we must be reminded that we don't belong to this world, we belong to the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, and that is our citizenship. I brought along, um, where is it now? Um, I brought along my passport if I can find it. Here it is. Um, there it is. I brought along my passport, just as an illustration of this. This passport, although it's quite faded and Worn. But on the first page of, this, of my passport, it says, In the name of the President, the President of the Republic of South Africa, requests all whom it may concern to allow the bearer of this passport to pass freely without let or hindrance, and to afford the bearer all necessary assistance and protection. So, this little passport is quite powerful, actually. Well, it's not... It's, Sometimes we call it the green mamba because it, you know, it's not that powerful. But, um, but it has, um, it still is. It's issued here, although I'm sure it wasn't back then. It was, when I, when I get this, Jacob Zuma was still president. But um, in the name of the president, this is a declaration that I am a citizen of South Africa. Um, and when I travel abroad, when I come to customs, and they open it up and they look at my funny looking ID photo there but they see I'm a South African citizen and this little document puts me apart from every other nation an American or a, or a, a, a Chinese citizen or anything and, then, and there are some characteristics about a South African citizen I think I'm sure you can think of some Obviously, we're very different, different cultures and languages and so on, but, but there are some similarities between all South African citizens. We love to bribe. We mostly love our rugby um, and, and so on. There are, there are lots of similar similarities. Yes, we're different, and yes, you can't always say that this is a South African when you try, uh, travel abroad, but it's interesting. Traveling abroad, you, it's almost like you get satellite ears, uh, especially if you're in a foreign city and you've been there for a long time, especially if you're an Afrikaner. You pick up, oh, 
There are people over there speaking up in Christ because you can hear it all above the noise and the bustle and bustle of everything else you can hear. There's an Afrikaner. And you immediately go and say, okay, and there's an immediate connection. Um, and that's, that's what, in, in a way, our citizenship, as, we, as we're living abroad right now, we're not yet in the heavenly Jerusalem. We're citizens, yes, but we're living almost as expats in Babylon. And we're still waiting for that time when the Lord will come and He will establish His kingdom here in the new heavens, in the new earth. And when our home will come to us. So, um, t- turning to Ephesians 2, quickly. Um, we, uh, Ephesians 1, sorry. Um, we're told how that works just as this little passport gives permission, almost as um, it, it, it empowers me to travel. If I travel without this abroad, I'll, I won't be allowed to enter a country. Um, say if I'm on my way to, to Jerusalem, uh, yes, Israel, not, not, not Jerusalem, the country. But if I'm on my way to Israel, if I'm stopped at the border and I don't have this, I won't be allowed to, to enter. Um, and just in the same way, if we do not live with a very real sense of our heavenly citizenship, we will not be able to stand in this, in this world. We will not be able to live here and walk worthy of the gospel as citizens. But how then? How then shall we live when we're surrounded by Babylon and surrounded by enemies of the cross? How then? Are we to live? And this, in this piece in, in Ephesians 1 from verse 17, 13, sorry. Verse 13 says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You were saved by hearing the gospel, putting your faith in Christ, and were included in Christ, brought out of the kingdom of darkness, brought out of Babylon. And when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. And that's what it, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just as much as this says that I'm a South African citizen, the fact that I have the Holy Spirit, that you, if you are in Christ, have the Holy Spirit, you are a citizen of heaven. And He's the seal, the guarantee of our inheritance until our King comes. When Jesus sent out the disciples before He sent them out, He said, wait, don't go anywhere before you have received the promised Holy Spirit and power from on high. And that's it. So when we believe in Christ, we're filled with the Spirit and we are sent out into Babylon, into the world. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not sent. We are ambassadors of Christ, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. 
We're sent, we're sent as ministers of reconciliation into Babylon, having our citizenship secure, but now inviting others. This is available to you. Come, turn away from Babylon. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from those three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Empty yourself. Surrender to God's kingship in Jesus. And that looks like living that life, you will be known just as much as, he's not here today, but Mike and Carolyn, their family, as soon as you hear them talk, you know they're Americans. And if we enter into the world, trust that there should be some characteristic that sticks out. The way we talk, the way we live, our priorities that set us apart as citizens of heaven, of this new Jerusalem. Because we follow our king. We take up our cross and follow him. We deny ourselves, which is the sting of the prostitute Babylon. And A.W. Tozer put it this way, said that there's one thing you know about a man carrying a cross outside of the city. You know he's not coming back. And we cannot be like Lot's wife who looked back to Sodom and Gomorrah. We have to have our eyes on the cross, our eyes on that hope of glory in Christ. And so as we live here in this fallen world, and sometimes we lament because it is not yet it does not yet acknowledge the Lord. We can take heart. Jesus said in John 16 verse 33, Take heart. Or first he said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I already have overcome the world. On the cross, Jesus put Babylon to shame. He put the empire to shame. That empire of self, of sin. And we can be part of his kingdom, the true kingdom. Um, in 1 John 5, I'm just going back quickly. In 1 John 5, this is what John encourages us the way we should live. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. By putting our faith in Jesus as the King, we overcome the world. We're more than conquerors in Christ. And so even when the world in Babylon does its worst to you, the way it did to Jesus, and the pinnacle of that is death. It's that first death. We read about the second death. We're free from the, from the second death through Christ. But all of us will die unless the Lord comes. First, recently my grandfather died. Um, 
And he was 90 years old and full of youth. Um, but his favorite poem, um, I was asked to read it at, at, his, at his memorial service. And I just want to close with this. And it's a reminder of God's sovereignty. And that's what I want to leave you with. As we live as Christ's servants, our allegiance is to Him. And therefore we do not have to worry. He's in control. And I just want to, want to read this. And it's at the gate of the year. It's called, um, with the second title, God Knows. It says, And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I might tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night. And he led me towards the hills and the breaking of day in the lone east. So, heart, be still. What need our little life, our human life to know, if God hath comprehension? In all the dizzy strife of things both high and low, God hideth his intention. God knows. His will is best. The stretch of years which wind ahead, so dim to our imperfect vision, are clear to God. Our fears are premature. In him all time hath full provision. Then rest. Until God moves to lift the veil from our impatient eyes, when as the sweeter features of life's stern face we hail, fair beyond all surmise, God's thought around his creatures, our mind shall fill. And so this morning, be encouraged that God reigns. He is sovereign. And he uses even evil for good. And so... As we close, I, I just want to close in prayer before handing over to Mornay and the worship team. Um, let's be encouraged. And as we walk out here into the new year, remember that you are sent. And you're empowered by the Spirit to point the world to Christ and His cross. We're friends of the cross. Come often to the cross and be reminded that Jesus has paid for our exile. And we are now citizens of that heavenly Jerusalem. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you that we can be humbled, convicted, and encouraged this morning. I pray, Father, that, that you would convict our hearts if we have any sort of friendship or any sort of allegiance to the world to Babylon. I pray that we would put it to death this morning and that we'd enter through that narrow gate would come to Jesus and His cross and put the world to death in us. I pray, Father, that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, that You would work in us and You would fill us and guide us as we navigate this world and we might not fall back into sin. And as we struggle against the temptations of this world, that you would keep us strong, keep us faithful, establish 
the work of your hands, the good work that you have begun in us, you will complete to the very end. So Father, build this house upon your rock that lasts for eternity. Pray that in your great and glorious name, Holy Father. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I'm going to